Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church, located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make him known. The gospel lesson for today is from Luke chapter 4, verses 38 through 44. This can be found on page 1022 of your Pew Bible. After preaching at the synagogue in Capernaum, Jesus' ministry continues into the evening as he performed many healings. The next morning, the people ask him to stay but he is firm in his purpose to spread the good news of the kingdom of God in other places. A reading from Luke chapter 4, beginning with the 38th verse. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him, and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose and he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. A few years ago, I was at a pastor's conference in Atlanta, and they broke us out into small groups. I was with about four or five other pastors, and to break the ice, we were supposed to say our name and um, when our church was launched. And so we went around, and, and the one guy said his church was about five years old, and the other guy said his church was 10 years old, and the guy who went right before me said his church was founded in 91, which at the time was about 25 years old. People marveled, wow, 25-year-old church. And it came to me, and I said, oh, my name is Nathan, and our church was founded in 31. Wow, 31. And then I said, 1731. <laughs> And uh, people thought I was joking. I said, no, for real, our church was founded in 1731. It's one year before George Washington was born. And uh, 13 families, 13 families living right here in this neighborhood, chartered, founded, launched, Stanwich Church. And uh, as recently as last Sunday, new people were joining that very same family, Stanwich Congregational Church. Amazing. I've been thinking about those 13 families this week as I've looked at our scripture passage today, because those 13 families, when they chartered this church, they wrote what we call the 1731 covenant, the church covenant. And in that covenant, there's a phrase that really stands out to me. One of the purposes of launching the church was this, according to the covenant, 
those folks wrote in 1731. The advancement of God's kingdom in this world. The advancement of God's kingdom in this world. That's why they started this church here in this neighborhood. There was already first congregational church and second congregational church, but they were forming, as it were, back then you had to have a church to form a new town. They were trying to form a new town called Stanwich, combination of the words Stamford and Greenwich. Do you know that? Stanwich is Stamford and Greenwich? Now you know. <laughs> Learned something new today. Well, the town never fully materialized, but the congregation remained. The advancement of his kingdom in this world, a new town, a new church, a new geographical area that the kingdom of God would advance to. This has been on my mind this week, as I said, because of our scripture reading today. Did you notice what Jesus said was his very purpose for coming into this world? Verse 43, he uses almost the exact same language. He said this, I must preach or I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. Founders of Stanwich Church knew this. The kingdom of God needed to be advanced geographically to a new town. This is why Jesus came, he said, to proclaim, to announce, to preach, to bring, to inaugurate the kingdom. Now, what is the kingdom of God? It's maybe not what we think it is. And I think it's an important and a timely question for us as Christians to be asking, what is the kingdom of God? If it was Jesus' purpose to advance the kingdom of God, if it was the founders of this church understood purpose to advance the kingdom of God, then it's ours as well. And we should ask the question, what does that mean? What does it look like when the kingdom of God is advanced? Jesus said in another place, seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. And in order for us to really get at this, what is the kingdom of God? We're not just going to seek first the kingdom today. But we're going to begin by seeking first the king. We're in a sermon series called the Messiah. That word Messiah, or the way we translate it as Christ, simply means anointed one. And in the ancient world, this phrase would have connoted kingship. Because kings, when they were inaugurated, they were anointed. Think of that time when Samuel... In 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, when Samuel took some anointing oil and placed it on young David's head. And it says, the Lord, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. So when we think about Jesus, when we use his name, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, we're pointing to this anointing. We're pointing on some level to his kingship. And in our scripture today, when Jamie read it a moment ago, you might have thought, well, that didn't seem like this is a story about a king. But look again with me. Look at actually just a couple of verses before our reading today. Verse 36. This is Luke 4, verse 36. Look at these words to describe Jesus. They were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. Authority and power. These are descriptions of a king. A king has authority to say, come or go to the armies or the people who serve him. A king has power 
Jesus had both authority and power, which we're going to see demonstrated in this passage today. We're going to see what he used his power and authority for. We're going to seek first in this story, the king, in order to understand the kingdom of God. It's an important and timely question, I think, for us, because when I look around at our world today, I see a kingdom without a king, basically. And in fact, I see a lot of groups of people wanting, longing for, even demanding the benefits of the kingdom, but without the king. We want the benefits of the kingdom, but without the king. When we've thrown Jesus out of the public square, yet we start demanding the benefits of what he offers, we're in a confused place. So today we're going to seek first the king and hope to inaugurate, to bring in the kingdom. It's also timely, I realize, because we had a recent coronation on television. I actually didn't know it was happening. I think this is a sign of how busy I am. I didn't know it was happening until I was on Facebook, and I saw some pictures of some of you all having coronation parties. I was like, why are they dressed like that? And I realized, okay, now I know King Charles III was coronated king of England. I'm up to date now. But I was watching that. I, I caught up with it on YouTube, you know, a couple of days afterwards. And I was watching it and I was thinking, wow, this is really amazing. People bowing their knee to the king. I also realized this particular kind of king, it's, I know there's a parliament and I know there's a prime minister. So he doesn't have nearly as much power and authority as kings in the ancient world had. But I was still impressed with people bowing down and yield or proclaiming their allegiance to the king. And I thought, what if we had an actual king, not just a king of a nation like Charles is, but what if we had an actual king of all creation as Jesus is presented here in the Gospels? And what if that king was Jesus? What kind of king would he be? How would he use his power? In his authority. Well, let's find out in today's story. Verse 38. Jesus arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. You see that word rebuke? We're going to see this word four times in the gospel of Luke. It's really a declaration of authority. Jesus in this moment is using both power and authority. He's using his power to do what? To glorify himself, to conquer his enemies. No, he's using his powers to heal. And he's using his authority. He's rebuking illness. And in a moment, he's going to rebuke demons, which we're going to see him using his authority to bring order into the world. And to deal with evil. Verse 40, now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid hands on every one of them and healed them. King Jesus uses his power to heal, to restore. Simon's mother-in-law was immediately restored to her role in the community. That's what he uses his power for. Now verse 41, demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked, there's that word again, he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. In this moment, Jesus is doing two things at once in rebuking the demons. He's using his authority to silence them. Why would he silence these demons? They're saying, you're the Christ. Do you think that would be a good thing? 
that people would recognize him as the Christ, as the king, but Jesus knew it wasn't yet his time. Things were not in the right order. If these demons had their way and the word got out, it would be too early, and Jesus knew he'd be in trouble with the authorities and he would be killed way sooner than he would be able to fulfill all the things he came to do. So he brings order by rebuking these demons. But he's also dealing with, he's demonstrating that he has sovereignty, that he has authority over even evil. I look around at our world today and I see that there's evil still, God's still given evil a bit of a leash to wreak havoc in our world. But it's important to remember that Jesus is sovereign over even evil. He can rebuke the powers of darkness that come against us. So he's doing those two things when he rebukes. I said that word rebuke is going to be used in two other places in Luke. One is just a few chapters later in Luke 8. Jesus is on a boat with his disciples and a big storm comes up and Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves. What is he showing us there by using his authority, his his rebuking power? He's showing us that he's not just king of some nation. He's king of all of creation. He can tell the wind and the waves what to do. He's the name above all names, the king of all kings. And then fascinatingly to me, it's used one more time in Luke chapter 9. Jesus is with his disciples and they see some other folks who reject Jesus. And Jesus' disciples get all excited and they're like, Jesus, Jesus, you should, you should rain hellfire on them. <laughs> they want vengeance, right? They want justice. Jesus rebukes them. Why does he do that? Why would King Jesus use his authority to rebuke what seems like something he might be interested in? People being judged, justice coming upon people who reject him. Well, it's because Jesus knew that ultimately he would go to the cross and he would deal with, he would absorb onto his body all the injustice, all the sin, all the rejection of the whole world. So his disciples didn't have to go Venge for him. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And when we realize that, we realize that Jesus brings justice. We're freed up then to bless our enemies. Not to fight back, not to continue the cycle of revenge, but to bless. Because he, King Jesus, would deal with all the injustice of the world. King Jesus uses his power and his authority to bring, actually, if you think about it, to bring all the things we as people are crying out for. Over the last few years, we're really showing that we want the benefits of the kingdom. In fact, some of us are marching in the streets to demand it. We want order. We want healing. We want evil to be dealt with. We want justice. We want the benefits of the kingdom, but we've kicked King Jesus out, but if all of us would just bow our knee to King Jesus and do what the founders of this church said they were all about doing, to do what Jesus was all about doing, to advance the kingdom, then we would get solutions to the problems that we're facing. We lift up King Jesus. We seek first the king to advance his kingdom. There's an interesting thing that happens next in the story that really gets at another question, not just what kind of king is Jesus, what does he use his power and authority for? There's a very important question that's in this story as well, which is who is the kingdom for? 
We've already said King Jesus is king of heaven and earth, king of all creation. So who is the kingdom for? Jesus really demonstrates for us how to answer that. Verse 42. When it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place. I bet he needed a nap. You realize he was doing this healing work all night long. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. I want to pause right there. I can't really blame them. Jesus, this stuff you're doing in our town, it's awesome. My mother-in-law got healed. People with leprosy are being restored. Demons are being dealt with. You're bringing peace. You're bringing order. You're even stopping the cycle of revenge. King Jesus, what you brought here is awesome. Will you please stay? This is good. You know, Jesus, you could set up a little a little thing here, a little fiefdom, a tent, a booth. We'll build you a throne right here in Capernaum. Could you stay? Don't worry about all those other folks. Stay with us. They're enjoying the benefits of the kingdom. They were to keep him from leaving them. But, verse 43, he said to them, I must preach, I must proclaim, I must inaugurate the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. I'm glad Jesus didn't stay where it would have been really comfortable for him. I'm glad he went to the other towns and that the kingdom of God kept advancing through his disciples even after he died and rose again, proving that he was king of kings. And I'm glad that the 13 families right here in this neighborhood in 1731 said, we want to bring this kingdom to other towns too. And I'm glad that this church, almost 300 years later, we are still about the same business of inaugurating the king and advancing the kingdom in this world. Pastor David stood here just a few minutes ago and gave us the announcements that began with some recap of things going on in the last week of the life of the church. Did you see those images? That's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We're using our power, our authority, our time, our talent, our treasure, like Alyssa was talking about. Not to dominate, not to win the culture wars, but to bless, to heal, to feed. How many of you are tired this morning from being on midnight run? I see some, it's not my sermon, is it, Joel? You're just tired from being out all night? (laughs) Maybe both. He said both, thanks. You're like my wife. She's always doing that sort of thing to me. Melissa, you were there. Raise your hand if you were on Midnight Run last night. Several of you. Look at that. Wow. Stanford, those who were praying in the streets yesterday. Where's Don Bull? I saw that picture of you. He usually sits over here. Maybe, oh, there he is. I thought I was going to say he's home sleeping, but no, he's here too. Greg Harch gave that stewardship moment at the 9 a.m. He, he wrapped up Alyssa's stewardship moment by giving the finances. And I thought it was amazing, Greg. You got done with the announcement and you slipped right out through this door. And it almost looked like he was getting out of here. But I know where he was going, to the children's wing, where he teaches Sunday school every Sunday at the 9 a.m. Church, we are still about advancing the kingdom of God in this world, using our time, our talent, our treasure to bring order, to bring healing, to deal with the problem of evil in this world. 
and to proclaim the good news, the gospel of God's grace, that the cycle of revenge stops at the cross. This is what we do when we advance the kingdom. I'm so impressed with the generosity of this church towards the Stamford Initiative. I mean, wow. So many of the people who've given money towards the Stamford Project might not even worship there. That to me is selfless giving. That's like Jesus who could have stayed in these towns and enjoyed all the notoriety he was getting there. He said, no, we're going to sacrificially give. We're going on. We're bringing the kingdom of God to Stamford as well. We're bringing it all over the world. I was looking at the numbers this morning of the people who, the numbers of dollars that have been given towards Stanford. Can I just read this out loud to you and we'll marvel together? $12,409,392. Wow, look around this room. Yeah. Now we have some more to give. Uh, And we will. God will continue to inspire us. But when I think about this, I think this is a group of people who get it. They get this advancement of the kingdom idea. When we are launching this church in Stanford, it's not for us. That church in Stanford is for God and for the city. It's for God and for the city. It's to glorify God and bring blessing and help and hope to the people in the city. In fact, here's another way to think about it. And this is the image I want us to leave with. What we're doing in Stanford and what we're doing in our workplaces and our schools and our spheres of influence, when we use our time, talent, and treasure to bless, to do all the things Jesus did while he was in this world, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, when we do that, well, it's a little bit like throwing a coronation party for the real king, the king of all kings. There's joy at a coronation party. And there's recognition, there's awareness that we have a king. My favorite part of the coronation in England last week was when Prince William came and bowed his knee to the new king, his father. I don't know if you saw this. He read some card that was pledging his allegiance to the king when he was bowed. But then, I don't know if this was rehearsed or if it was spontaneous. He reached out and he touched his father's crown. And then he leaned in and gave his dad a kiss on the cheek. Did you see this? You should go back and watch it because what happens next was really powerful. King Charles had this look on his face. It was only for a moment. He's still King Charles after all. He's a little wooden. But he, he broke for a second. Did you see it? When his son, Prince William, bowed his knee, pledged his allegiance, touched his crown and kissed him, King Charles had a look of pure delight in his son on his face. Just lasted a second, but you couldn't miss it. I'm a dad. I know what that feeling is. And folks, when we seek first the king, when we lift up King Jesus, when we throw a coronation party for the king of kings, when we bow our knee and surrender and pledge our allegiance to the king, he delights. He delights when we say like Jesus did, we were sent 
for this purpose. So church, let's just keep doing what our founders called us to do. And let's advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ in this world. Amen. To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.